0: Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message.
1: I want to start a new series today. Say new series. I'm excited about this. Pastor Chris and I, Pastor Chris down at the campus in Florida, we've been talking back and forth on this. We're doing a series called Encounters with Christ. Say encounters with Christ. And what basically what we're going to do is we're going to look at different Bible characters who encountered Christ, who had these different experiences with Jesus in his real life while he was here, leading up to the Passover, to his death, and to his resurrection. And, and it's really cool because sometimes it's so easy to read a story in the Bible or, you know, about a character in the Bible, and sometimes we can just kind of glaze over that There are actual things that have happened here. There's actual people that have, you know, connected with Jesus and had relationship, which means there's this emotional and relational attachment. And so I really want to do that, but I want to use these real-life examples because I think it will help us to navigate our own encounters with Christ in a deeper and more meaningful way. And so today, encounters with Christ, we're going to look at a gentleman His name is Simon of Cyrene. Say, Simon of Cyrene. So there's a few passages here in Scripture that mention him, and it's really only one passage per gospel. But in Matthew 27, 32, for instance, it says, As they were going out, say, going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon. Look what they did. And they forced him, who? Simon, To carry the cross. Whose cross was this? It was the cross of Jesus. How many know that Jesus wasn't the only one crucified in all of history? You know, this was a normal way of execution. In fact, I think, I don't know if I have a history exactly right. At one point I did. Um, I believe it was either the Assyrians or one of these groups that, that started it. But they say historically, Rome perfected it. Crucifixion was... A horrible way to go. It was this is the crazy thing. If you've seen anything, anything, you know, Game of Thrones, anything like that, you can see how violent it was in ancient times. And this was not just an execution, like off with their head. That would be the easy way to go. This was, how long can I make someone or have someone suffer until they finally die? But that's what crucifixion was about. And so there were many people who were crucified, and and the beauty to me of the cross is that Jesus changed it to a place where literally, generations later, people were putting crosses on things, wearing it as jewelry. You see it all around as a thing of beauty. I mean, think about it. This, This was an execution instrument that through Christ was turned into a thing of beauty, So here we have, this is Jesus, you know, his process to Calvary. And we see this man introduce Simon of Cyrene. Mark 15, 21 says it like this. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Oh, interesting. He had some sons, was passing by on his way in from the country. And what happened? They forced him to carry the cross. Luke twenty three twenty six says, As the soldiers led Jesus away, they seized a Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country. So this guy's just, just plugging along and happens to intersect with this. And what happens? They put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. And although the Gospel of John doesn't specifically mention Simon of Cyrene uh, helping Jesus or carrying of it, it does speak about Jesus carrying his own cross into Jerusalem Look at this. Finally, Pilate handed them over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Say Golgotha. So many of us here... Would probably say that we 're familiar with this story we 're at least familiar with the story of Jesus being crucified Today we celebrate what they call palm sunday it 's when he was brought into um, the the uh, city there and and worshipped as a king. He did ride in on a donkey, not a horse there 's a lot there. In uh, just examples of the difference of the, the kingship of Jesus and how his kingdom works. We're not going to get into that. And, and actually, I had a different way to go, and I just, this particular person, Simon, stood out to me. So we will circle back probably after Easter to, to today, Palm Sunday, and talk about some things. But I, I want to really look into the life of Simon. And we were lucky enough, this is crazy, I don't know how I came across this, but we were lucky enough to get real historical video footage of Simon's testimony. So, yeah, it's awesome, Bruce. So check this out. I was
0: going into the city to celebrate the Passover, and he he was being let out of the city as a Passover lamb. But we didn't. didn't understand that. Um, When I got to Jerusalem, it wasn't what I expected. There was like 10 times more people there than the last time that I'd I'd been there to celebrate Passover, and it just seemed like the whole city was angry, like just, just mobs of angry people. And all of a sudden, this, this, this guard, the this soldier, he grabs me. And, I mean, he literally just pulls me out of the crowd. And he says, for me to carry this guy's cross, if, if this guy's blood it gets on me, it's, it stains me, and I, I, can't, I can't celebrate the Passover. That's the whole reason I was there. It was hard to see the man through the blood. And then our eyes met. And I knew this man was not a liar. He was not a, uh, a crazy man with grand ideas. He was he was the Messiah. I carried um, what I could, but he uh he carried, he carried most of it. We we began we began to walk. I I I heard the insults that, that they shouted at him and and now at me. I felt the spit. I felt his his blood on me. They'd taken a, a crown made of thorns and then they smashed it on his head and, and, and blood ran into his eyes. They laid him out on a cross and they, they nailed his hands and his feet to it. And they, they they lifted it up and he he had, he had all of his weight on that one spike through his feet and he would, he would he would push up with all of his might and and gasp for a breath to stay alive I couldn't watch it. He did that for hours. I couldn't watch it. And I looked down and I remember I remember seeing my hands. My hands were stained with, with his blood. The, the blood that I thought would would make me unclean. And I realized it's the blood, it's the blood that that makes me clean he breathed his last breath and he died and that was a uh, that was the day that I helped Jesus carry that was the day that I helped Jesus my cross. He hung and died on my cross.
1: little different glimpse there, huh? Now, obviously, we know that's not actual footage. But I, I do think again when we read scripture it's so easy to not get the gravity of what's happening here to see the the emotion the feeling the humanity this is real connection this is a connection that Simon had with Jesus this is a connection that Jesus had with many individuals but especially leading up to his crucifixion and even in the resurrection and again, it's easy to read or these stories or experiences in a detached way. And so this morning, in continuing this series, I want us to really try to capture what were they feeling in that moment? What was the connection in that moment? Because if if there's nothing else I can say that I know about Jesus, Jesus was all about connection. Jesus was all about relationship. Come on. And I think it's important that we see through these The eyes of these people. So the first thing I want to ask is a who question. Who is Simon of Cyrene? Well, Simon likely was one of the multitude of Jews who were on this pilgrimage from their hometown to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Now, Passover to the Jews was a really special time. This was celebrating their exodus from Egypt. Uh, If there's one thing that I really love about the Jewish tradition is that they tell stories, they hold on to the stories of their forefathers and what God had done for them. And so in this exodus, it changed everything. They came out of 430 years of slavery. And so on Passover, it was a celebration, a celebration that they were free from from Egypt. And so, you know, although we're not certain if, you know, Simon was indeed Jewish, he did have a Jewish name. Um, As we can see, he came from the North African port city of Cyrene It had a large Jewish population. And we're not told in the Bible if, you know, this was Simon's one and only opportunity. Not every Jew was able to come to the city uh, and celebrate every year. Or maybe this was a regular occurrence for him. But regardless, Simon's holiday was about to be disrupted in a way that would change him forever. It would change his his life trajectory forever. And the events of Jesus' death, I believe, so influenced Simon that he did indeed become a follower of Jesus at the conclusion of the cross. So what happened in those moments? Jesus was being led from the city, right, out to the hillside of Calvary. How many are familiar with Jesus was crucified on Calvary? And so the streets of Jerusalem were crowded. This is sometimes I think what we don't realize was this was a crowded time. There were, there were people on this pilgrimage from all over, Jews from all around, coming to celebrate Passover. And so in the midst of this crowd, Jesus is carrying this cross through the city. This was the Passover celebration. And as was the custom of the day, those who were sentenced to be crucified were actually forced to carry their execution instrument on their backs, on their shoulders, as another form of public humiliation. Can you imagine that? You've already been sentenced to death. I can't can't imagine the emotional trauma going on in your head knowing not only were you sentenced to death, but now you're carrying the torture instrument on your back. That's just wild to me. Now, John's Gospel notes that Jesus carried his cross, and as far as we know, he started out, but at some point, Simon comes in. However, think about this, the brutal 15 hours that led to these moments caused him to buckle under the weight of the cross. Imagine the sheer exhaustion that Jesus was feeling at these moments. Bible scholar William Hendrickson says this, He notes that what Jesus experienced in those hours leading up to the march to Golgotha were so severe, it's a wonder Jesus was able to stand and carry his cross at all. So think about this. Jesus, in the 15 hours before he made his way to Calvary, because sometimes we're just like, yep, there was a trial, then he was crucified. But this is about a 15-hour period. Think about this. What did he endure? The tense atmosphere of the upper room. Something was about to change. Something was shifting. How about this? His betrayal by Judas. His agony as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. The the desertion of his disciples. His disciples just left. They vanished. There was no one there. The torture of a totally hypocritical trial before the Jewish Sanhedrin. The mockery in the palace of Caiaphas. The denial by his most prominent disciple, Peter. This is what Jesus was experiencing. The trial before an unjust judge. The terrible ordeal of being scourged and beaten. And then finally, the abuse by the soldiers leading up to the cross being laid on his back. A 15-hour process. Now, scholars differ as to whether Jesus you know, carry the full cross or just sometimes you've seen in movies it portrayed where it's just the cross beam kind of tied around their shoulders. The cross beam alone was thirty to forty pounds and the full weight of the cross was over a hundred pounds. After fifteen hours I'm not trying to just drop, oh, I want you to feel the gravity of what's happening in this moment. This is why Jesus began to to stumble and, and lose his balance under the weight of this cross, sheer exhaustion. And then we see who enters the scene, Simon. Now, it could seem like a chance thing, but I don't think it was. Now, the thing is, in Roman law, the Roman soldiers could... Uh, tell anyone that they can help carry the cross. So they just pulled someone out of the crowd. I mean, this was a legal matter. As, as a soldier, they could do this. And so the Greek word used in Mark fifteen twenty one to compel or force Simon to carry the cross uh, of Jesus is the word in Greek, anagario. And this word anagario was the same word that Jesus used in Matthew five forty one when he was teaching his followers to go the second mile when someone asks them for help. Remember what he said? If anyone forces you, that word forces right there, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, I've talked about this before, but this was part of Roman law. If a Roman soldier was in town, they had these really heavy packs, and if they decided that they didn't want to carry the pack anymore, by Roman law, they could demand that you carry it, and you could not refuse, but they only got one mile. And what did Jesus say? Go an extra mile. Go to. See, we can already see Jesus was just different in the way he thought, right? This is kingdom thinking. So, the who, Simon of Cyrene, the what, Jesus and the procession of him carrying his cross, Simon's brought in. But I was thinking about the why. Why did Simon end up carrying the cross of Jesus? The answer is actually quite simple, yet it's shameful. Think about this, because no other disciple was present to do what a stranger was forced to do. You ever thought about that? Jesus goes through this 15-hour ordeal, sheer exhaustion, and when he stumbles under the weight of the cross, not one disciple is next to him to help. The Roman soldiers had to grab someone and force them to do it. But there's something beautiful that's going on here. See, Simon was called in the service to carry the cross, right? But listen to this. Without realizing it at the time, Simon fulfilled the words Jesus had spoken and were recorded in Luke 9.23. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I'm sure when Simon was packing up, telling the family in Cyrene, I'm heading to Jerusalem, I'm going to celebrate Passover, maybe it was his first time there was this excitement. He'd never been able to do it in the holy city, so he packed stuff up. He didn't know what was coming, did he? In fact, when you think of this, thousands of people surrounding the city and surrounding Jesus in this moment, and the one person that's picked out is Simon of Cyrene. See, it could seem like a fluke. It could seem like an accident. But I'm here to tell you, I don't think it was. But in those moments of packing and traveling and the excitement of celebrating, Simon never knew that he would be fulfilling the words of Jesus, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now, tradition indicates that this cross-carrying episode so moved Simon to the core of his being that he did indeed become a follower of Jesus. This is a Jewish man celebrating Passover. Someone who probably participated in many festivals and feasts. One who abided by Torah or the law. But something happened in this connection. In this, I'm air quoting, chance meeting with Jesus that radically changed his life. The words of Jesus from the cross may have so impacted Simon that he never got over what he experienced that day. See, not only did he look at this man who barely, I mean, Scripture even said he didn't even have the form of a man. That's how beaten he was. But as he looked at Jesus, as Jesus was on the cross, can you imagine all that thinking, man, this this man's innocent? I believe this man's the Messiah. And then he says things like, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. He says words like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He begins to quote Psalm 22, and I believe Simon knew Psalm 22, and he suddenly realized that's a prophetic psalm about the Messiah. Wow, I've had my God, my God moments. But at the end of the psalm, it says that Heavenly Father never turned his face from Jesus. He never turns his face or back on us. I'm just trying to imagine the experience that he had at this day. He assisted the Passover lamb to his death. And that death would be the once for all sacrifice, the writer of Hebrews tells us, bringing all humanity rescue from sin. And death. This is what he experienced. And So what I want to do is I'm trying to paint a picture of, of what Simon had gone through in this connection. And, and by the end, we're going to see what that resulted in, in his life and even to his family. But there's something here about this Luke chapter 9 verse 23. And I want to dig into this, just hover here for the next several minutes and see what is it that Simon had fulfilled. What were the words of Jesus? Let's read them again. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and what? Follow me. Now, you know me. I like to dig in the original language because sometimes as beautiful as English translations are in the, the you know, plethora of, of English translations we have access to, especially now, I mean, on a digital device in your hand, it's like Star Trek stuff, right? It's like Bible in your hands. So many times the words and the mood and the tense and what's happening, it's really hard to translate into English. And so I want to look at this today. The first portion says, if anyone, now this is Jesus speaking. And it says he spoke to all of them. I think that I'm part of the all. How about you? See, yes. I'm, I'm an all. That's right. If anyone desires to come, what's the word? After me. This word after in Greek is the word "apizo." Apizo. Listen to this. It means to regard with close attention to mimic. Now listen to this, it means to be magnetically drawn after. In fact, it comes from this word optonomai, which means to gaze at something remarkable. Now, to me, this changes the whole tone of the scripture, because I've heard it preached many times. I know I've preached it myself many times over years and years of preaching and teaching and sermons and messages. And how many have heard me say this, that we can go to Scripture and we can read it or we can hear it as either a threat or a promise? I'm telling you, I know that I've taught this before with great intention as a threat. You better follow Jesus. You better deny yourself. You take up that cross every day and you follow Jesus or else. At least I have. I know I have it sometime. Bruce, do you think you ever have? Okay. If Bruce has, I know I have. And so it it comes off as a threat rather than a promise, but think about the sport if anyone desires. First of all, desires? To me, this doesn't sound like a command or demand. This sounds like somebody who wants to. If anyone desires to come after me, in other words, you've watched me, you've looked into my life, you actually have come to a place where you've been magnetically drawn to me, you gazed at me and what you saw was remarkable. Who wouldn't follow something like that? Does it seem more like a promise than a threat? Like, Jesus, you are so good. How many have experienced this in their own life? Now, there were times in my life where I thought, man, I better get following Jesus. Like, anyone? Like, there was that fear factor, right? Not the TV show, right? But, like, there was this fear factor. I got to follow. Oh, man, I'm not following well enough. Okay, I got to try hard. I got to work. Okay, I really need to follow Jesus. Okay, you know what? That's it. Youth group. You know, your youth camp. That's it. I mean it now. I mean business. I'm going to follow Jesus now. And not that I have an issue. I think that's an honorable thing. What we're missing that Jesus says, if you have this desire within because you've seen me and what you've seen is so remarkable that you're magnetically drawn to it and you want to be like me, come on, let's do this. Can you see the difference? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and what? Follow me. This word in the Greek, follow, is akolotheo. Akolotheo. And it means to follow one who proceeds. Makes sense. But as you dig deeper, it means to join someone in a company in close companionship. See, so many times I I would picture it like this. Okay, I'm gonna follow Jesus, and he is way up there. And man, I'm trying to keep up. You know, the, the footprints in the sand. I'm trying to, oh, 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 left foot, left foot, right foot. I'm gonna follow Jesus, and I'm really trying to keep up. But this following looks to me more like a close companionship where you're walking alongside. In fact, if you break this word down in the original language, ah, uh, is a particle of the word union. And kaluthos, it literally means a road. So think about this. Jesus is saying, if you have this desire, anyone who has a desire, and I almost can see it like this. Like he's saying, the reason you have that desire is because. Think about it like that. You've paid close attention to me. You've been magnetically drawn to me because of how remarkable I am. So now we're in a place where we are accompanying one another in close companionship. It's a union. We're on a road together, the road of life. How many like magnets? I love this word magnetic. When I was a kid, when I first discovered magnets, I thought I had discovered like plutonium or something. Like it was the coolest thing ever. Right? Like magnets were so cool because you could do cool things with them. Like, I remember I used to do this with my brother Jason. I'd put one on the table and he didn't know I had one underneath. You ever done this? And you move it around and you can go, oh, look at at this. You're like, you're moving it. How are you doing that? But magnets, if they were strong enough, could go through a thick wood table. I remember when I discovered that speakers are driven by magnets. Man, I was tearing speakers apart, whether they were being used or not, just to get those magnets. Because there was something about magnetic attraction. And the bigger the magnet, the stronger the hold. As I was reading this this morning, it just really got me because I thought, the only way that a magnet really can work, you know, I understand they can, they can clean the metal. But if we're made in his image and likeness, that means that we're magnet too. We're like Jesus And together, we clean together in union. But it's not because we're being forced to. It's because our desire is to because Jesus is so remarkable. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Say deny. Now, this is a verb. And I'm not the best at saying this, so don't correct me if you're a Greek, uh, you know, student but it's the word arnesis, though, arnesis, though, and it means to contradict. What's really interesting in the Greek language, and and somewhat, too, in English, but, but in Greek, when you're studying it, there's an aorist imperative, and there's present imperative. Now, when you see a word in present imperative, it means it's something that goes on and on. It's a continual thing. But when a word is an aorist imperative, It actually has a defined beginning and a defined end. So this denial here in Aorist imperative suggests to get it over and done with, once and for all. I've heard many messages and probably preached many. Deny yourself, deny yourself, deny yourself. What self? The false self. We say it all the time that... When you hear the gospel, what really happens is you awaken to your true self. The gospel, uh, the, the disciples and the apostles use this language to awaken to your righteousness. When you awaken to something, it means it's always been there. It's been provided. You have to awaken to it. But in this, Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him once and for all deny that false self. Isn't that awesome? This isn't a continual thing that we're doing over and over and over. It's a one and done thing. And then he says, once you deny, what do we do? We take up our cross. This word take up, again, is an aorist imperative. It's the word eratu. It means to lift up. Lift up your cross once and for all. How many crosses did Jesus lift up? Why? Why? Where was he going? Where was he taking the cross? Yeah, to Calvary. And he was crucified. Did he ever take up a cross again? Why? It's finished, right? It's the same imperative here. He says to take up your cross one time. Why? Because you're with Jesus. Paul said we've been crucified with Christ. We've been resurrected with Christ And get this, we are now seated at the right hand of the Father with Christ. Why would we have to come back down to grab the cross, to get crucified, to resurrect, to be seated again? Doesn't make sense, does it? So we have this desire because Jesus is remarkable. We're magnetically drawn to him. It puts us in this place where we say, you know what? I don't believe the lie about who I thought I was. I once and for all deny that. Not deny who I truly am. Deny the false self. And then what do I do? One time with Jesus. Now, this is how it gets kind of wild because I even thought to myself, wait a minute. I live here, but yet I'm seated with Christ at the right hand. How? We can't figure it all out, right? It's one of those things you start thinking and bloop, it just your mind can't comprehend. There's a spiritual aspect going on here. It's the same thing. At some point... I don't know when it was, when you believed. Maybe it's something that already happened, and now you've awakened. I don't know how it all works, but at some point, one time, you take up your cross with Jesus, you're crucified, you're resurrected, and you're seated with him. It's done. How do we know this? The language used. It's a one and done. In fact, this comes from the verb arrow. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked from John 15, the parable of the vine and the branches. In verse 2, people can get scared because it says if if the branch isn't bearing fruit, some versions say he will take it away, he will cut it off. It's the same word, arrow. What did we find? Nope, he lifts it up. So this is about a lifting John uses this same word when he coached Jesus in John chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We follow Jesus. We take our cross. We head to crucifixion. Why? Killing that old self, the lie that we believed about ourselves. But I know what you're saying, the elephant in the room, but Pastor it says, take up his cross daily. I know. I got an answer for you. You want it? The word daily here. Now, first of all, let me just say this. Many scholars believe that this word wasn't in the original text. Sometimes there have been words that have been added or changed because someone had a certain theology, whoever the scribe was, and they wanted to make sure, they're like, man, here's what it usually is. Now, that's too good Let's add something to it. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, they had ill intention, that they're evil people. (laughs) I'm going to change this up. It's just human nature, right? I mean, in my walk with Jesus, there's many times I thought things about Jesus and God that really weren't true. And it took me years to figure out, oh, God isn't like that. Okay, all right. But maybe I said something or wrote something down years ago that. I've told you before, I can go through, I use an app for all my notes. It goes back 12 plus years. And sometimes just for fun, I'll go back and say, what did I used to think about? Oh, my dear Lord. But you know what I love about it? I don't feel shame. It's where I was at the time. And the beauty of it is I'm growing. I'm on a journey. If I went back 12 years ago and believed all the exact same things, there's a problem. I'm not growing in my journey. That's why it's even tough. I've been looking you know, lately, a lot of times on a, on a website at a church will go, these are our beliefs. Well, beliefs change. But there's values that don't change, right? But this word daily, it doesn't, when you look at the original language and the context, it doesn't connect with taking up your cross. It's the word kath hemeron, kath hemoron. It means on a daily basis, and it doesn't work because we just saw that the lift up is a one time. It's a once and done. And if you, have to, if you actually look how it's written in the Greek, it connects actually with the word follow. It connects with our closeness and walking the road in the closest possible association with Jesus. So if we were to look at this again, we would read it as, okay, if anyone desires, you have a desire because you see this remarkable... Jesus. He's drawn you in magnetically. You want to be like Jesus. And so what do you do? You once and for all deny that false self and you see yourself as a self that Jesus has called you and you take up that cross one time with Jesus. You're crucified. You're buried. You're resurrected. You're seated now at the right hand of the father with Jesus. Isn't that awesome? But what's the daily process? It's the following It's the connection. It's reminding yourself, I'm connected to God. Nobody can destroy that connection. No one can snatch me out of the hand of the Father. Why? Because I'm connected. And I think that the mirror Bible translates this so well. Let's look at this together. He then looked everyone in the eye and said to them, Joining me in close companionship in your daily walk involves perceiving my mission as fully representing you. Get over and done with any idea of self that contradicts your true I amness. Here is how you do it. How do we do it? Lift up your cross once and for all by seeing it mirrored in mine. My cross is your cross. Isn't that beautiful? So then it really brings up the question of how. How might the encounter between Simon of Cyrene and Jesus of Nazareth be understood and applied by us? Because I do think that every scripture that was written and inspired, when when men would, would pen these words, I believe that they were inspired. They were inspired to write at a certain time to a certain people, about a certain subject or what's going on. But I also believe, I guess we would say that's the literal translation, but I also believe that there's biblical application. There's things that we can apply to our own life. So how might the encounter between Simon of Cyrene and Jesus of Nazareth be understood and applied by us? Well, think about what we read in Mark. Mark 15, 21, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of who? Alexander and Rufus, these are his sons, was passing by on his way in from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. Now, again, it's so easy to read something like this and first of all go, Simon of Cyrene, don't know who that is. And even easier to go, Alexander and Rufus? I mean, who's that? Well, what we get here is that Simon was the father of at least two sons, Alexander and Rufus. Now, Imagine how this event of carrying the cross and seeing Jesus crucified, hearing his words from the cross, having that where his eyes, I love in there where he said, our eyes met and I knew he was in us and I knew there was something there. Think about how this had marked Simon. Let's say it like this. Think about how this had marked their dad. How might the conversations have unfolded? when Simon returned back home to Cyrene. What was the mood? What were the words that were used when Simon conveyed these events and these experiences while the family shared a meal? Now, I don't believe that Alexander and Rufus were named by accident. I don't think Mark just thought, hey, man, let's just throw Alexander and Rufus in there. Why not? Because we read it, we're like, I don't know who Alexander and Rufus are. But, I believe this because they went on to be marked as men of faith that others in the early days of the church would have been aware of and known. I believe that when Mark wrote these words, he assumed that people knew who Alexander and Rufus were. You know that the Gospel of Mark was written about 40 years or so after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so you have almost this full generation of new believers and Christians being added to the church during this time. And so then Mark writes this, and when he writes it, he writes it in such a way. This is what we've got to pick up. He's writing it in such a way that you and I wouldn't pick up on what he's saying. But those who were hearing the story would go, oh, yeah, Alexander and Rufus. They're awesome men of faith. In fact, even Paul mentions Rufus and his mother. And so what we see here is if Rufus and his mother were involved in this Christianity thing, in this following Jesus thing, most likely Alexander was too. And there's some theories out there. I've been reading on this, and some uh, theologians would say, yes, Alexander's mentioned in this spot. There's a different Alexander here, and they actually believe he was. But here's what I'm catching here. Simon was a father who passed down his faith of being a follower of Jesus to his sons. It made such a mark on his life that as he told the stories, one experience, one chance meeting with Jesus. I mean, are you picking this up? One one chance meeting on a road as the Messiah was about to be crucified. That's all he had with Jesus. It transformed his life to a place where when he spoke of Jesus, his entire family followed Jesus as well. What an encouragement for all parents to do the same with their children. You know, I had to, in my own life, change up how I raised my children when it came to Christianity and things like that. Because sometimes, if we're not careful, it can become a really legalistic environment. And I didn't want that. I wanted them to be able to see in my own life and hear through my own stories how good Jesus is. Why? So they could go, wow. Maybe that's something I can invest my life into. And then they begin to have their own encounters, their own experiences, without me rushing it or trying to push it. Listen, you can't push an experience. You, 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 you can't force your kids to have the faith you have. The faith you have is because of what you know, what you've been through, the journey you're on, right? And so it's having an understanding. And one of the hardest things to do as a parent who's had to do this is to be able to release your children. Let them find their way. That's not easy. Because deep down you're like, I I, got to somehow, I got to try harder. I, I have to, but you know what I found? Usually that just drives them away. And so what do we do? We do like Heavenly Father with us. It's never forced. It's never feared into you. It's a constant love that never changes. And so I believe this is what Simon of Cyrene, he experienced that. He grew in what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. His family saw his example. They heard the words. They saw he was marked by the experience with Jesus. And so they then, we even hear, we can see in Scripture that they were part of the household of faith. What an encouragement to us. May we live lives that so impact others that a rich legacy is carried on because of our encounters with Christ. So think about this. When we regard Jesus, as he says in Luke 9, with close attention, and we're magnetically drawn to Jesus in these encounters, it draws us into that deep union, that connection on the road of life together. And in these moments think about this. No one has to demand or command that we preach the gospel. Why? Because we live the gospel. We can't help but tell people about our experiences and our encounters with Christ. This is what happened with Simon of Irene. Just one chance meeting with Jesus radically changed his family and the world around him. And I believe that Jesus does the same through us. Will you stand with me? I grew up for a lot of my life in church, heard a lot of great preachers with great intentions. And the deeper that I get in the relationship with Jesus, the more I realize that nobody has to command or demand that I preach the gospel. You can't help but not. It's authentic, it's genuine, it's real. In fact, rather than trying to get people to go to Bible verses and to pray prayers, you actually begin to care about individuals, the people you come in contact with. You can see the brokenness, you can see the hurt, you can see the pain, you see the issues they go through. And rather than go, okay, I got to get them saved, we go, wow, there's a person there. They're experiencing the low in life. Remember? Mm-mm, mm-mm. You like those sound effects? Mm-mm. They're experiencing life like a heartbeat, like we all do. And maybe they're in a low right now. And in those lows, they have no one to turn to. They don't know which direction to go. See, it's in those moments where I believe the real gospel is lived out, where we care for them. We empathize. We hear their story. We're slow to speak. We're quick to listen. We hear their story. We hear their pain. And and, and, and in fact, even if we don't agree with their life or lifestyle, we begin to go, oh, I see why they are where they are. And they believe what they believe. And God still loves them right where they are. So maybe I should too. And let Holy Spirit work out the rest. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness we thank you for your care for us we thank you that as we see today your instruction in Luke 9 it's not a command that we better follow you or else it's saying if you just knew how good I was if you just knew how much I loved you It would create an automatic desire. You'd be magnetically drawn to me because I'm so amazing. I'm so magnificent. I love you with a love that that no one on this earth could feel for you. And it's in those moments, without demanding, without commanding, this true, authentic desire wells up within us to say, Jesus, I want to take up my cross once and for all. I want to follow you. I want to be crucified, buried, resurrected. I want to be seated with you. I want to be in union in life with you, do life with you and with others. If you're here this morning, and you think, you know what? I don't know if I've ever really made that decision or saw it that way. Today's your day. Salvation's already been uh, given. It's already there. Salvation, really in the Greek, is healing, preservation, deliverance, safety, wholeness. It's already done. We just have to awaken to it. So maybe you're there this morning thinking, man, I want to follow this Jesus. I want to do that first step and take up that cross with Jesus. I want to be on this journey with Jesus. I don't understand what all that means. I don't know where all the scripture verses are and all the Christianese to speak. It doesn't matter. It only takes faith. If you're here this morning and that's you, this is how simple it is. Say, Jesus, I trust you. I'm in this. I want to follow you. We thank you, Holy Spirit. You're working in hearts right now, whether here or online. This could be the beginning of a great journey for many people. And for those of us who have been on the journey, thank you, Holy Spirit, for the reminder that we're in you you're in us. We're connected in union together. And there's nothing we can do to change that. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Well- for more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always,
0: we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.